Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic: the future. This is cracking the code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode. J.T. McCormick, President and CEO of the innovative publishing company Scribe, shares his surprising story of success despite a difficult beginning. My father was a black pimp and drug dealer in the 1970s. My mother was an, an orphan. I lived in chaos. We were poor. My father had 23 children. I was routinely sexually molested by one of my father's prostitutes. I was in and out of juvenile three different times. I barely have a high school diploma. McCormick shares a key lesson about not focusing on the past. No matter how many times I ask why, I can't change it. So for me, I've chosen in life to say, okay, I can't change the past, but damn it, I can change the next hour. I can change tomorrow, next week. So I choose to focus on the things that I actually can change and I can have a, a hand in my future versus the things that I can never change. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Welcome. JT and Aloha, welcome to the Cracking the Code. Sudair, my friend, I am I am humbled and flattered to, to be on, and I, I greatly appreciate the invite. JT, you've got a phenomenal uh, background, an incredible journey that's brought you to tremendous success in the world we live in. So take me back a little bit to your childhood and uh, share for our audience how that journey began the learnings from your family and your circumstances, the experiences, and how you've gone to where you are today as a very successful executive. Wow, Sudair, that was a that was a really open-ended question. <laughs> Going back to my childhood, I I will give you a, a I'll share an overview, and you give me the details of what you want to dive into. My my childhood started, I was born, uh, my father was a black pimp and drug dealer in the 1970s. My mother was a, is, uh, she's a white woman and she was an, an orphan. She grew up in a 1950s institutional orphanage. So I'm, I'm half black, half white. I was born in 1971 and in the 70s, being mixed race was not nice. It, you know, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. But that was, in many ways, that was the least of my, my issues. It was, I, I lived in chaos. My mother was on welfare. We were poor, uh, raised by a single mother. My father had 23 confirmed children. And I just, uh, again, grew up in, in complete chaos. I was in and out of juvenile three different times. I barely have a high school diploma. I, I never graduated high school. I actually had to go to summer school to, to get enough credits to get my high school diploma. And I, growing up as a child, I was routinely sexually molested by one of my father's prostitutes. So that's that's a, a high level. And, and like I said, more than more than happy to dive into any details. But that is the background in which I come from. Wow. A lot to process in that very short synopsis you gave us, JT, but... Clearly, you would agree with me that adversity allows uh, 
us to learn a lot about life and how to deal with it. I 100% agree. In fact, I'm, I'm often asked the question, would I change anything about my upbringing? And there's only two things that, that I would change. I would have made things not so hard from, for my mother from a financial perspective. And I would have had three of my half brothers and sisters not go through the, the absolute hell that they went through. Those, but those would be the only two things I would change. Everything, everything, even, even down to the, the, and many people look at me crooked when I say this, even down to the, uh, the, the sexual molestation, everything about my past, I, I would not change. You are a, very reflective, fulfilled person and uh, very successful at what you do today. So uh, those early uh, adverse circumstances taught you a lot. What would be one or two things you would want to share with our audience on what you learned through those tough and trying times? I appreciate the question. And I would say the number one piece that, that I always focus on, and, and this really can go for anyone's lifestyle, regardless if you were born into a, a wonderful, loving home in, 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 or, or wealth or whatever the case may be, is for me, when I look back at my past, it's my past. I can't change it. You know, I can sit and I can dwell on why was I born to an, an orphan mother and a, and a pimp father? Why, why was I sexually molested? Why, you know, why did I not get the, the education of, of some of the other people who received better educations? But here's what I have found. No matter how long I sit with that, no matter how many times I ask why, I can't change it. So for me, I've chosen in life to say, okay, I can't change the past, but damn it, I can change the next hour. I can change tomorrow, next week. So I choose to focus on the things that I actually can change and I can have a, a hand in my future versus the things that I can never change. That's a very uh, insightful piece of advice you can, you can give us. Clearly, you're focused on the future. You've had many unique experiences building your professional life all the way to being the CEO today of a, a fledgling and growing company with Book in a Box. So you've had the opportunity to practice uh, your leadership skills over these decades. Would you share with us a little bit what those foundational morals and values are that you bring into your leadership style? I would say I put people first. And, you know, right now we live in a world, I would say, especially over the last five years, you hear the term servant leadership, and it's, it's very overused. And, and I express this to so many people. Three letters do not make you a leader. PhD, MBA, ESQ, CEO, three letters do not make you a leader. Those are all titles, roles, and credentials. In my opinion, true leadership is servant leadership. And, and again, that's a highly overused term. Many people use it, but they don't actually practice it. And so for me, I believe my leadership style is truly servant leadership. And I'll give one small example of this. If you go to most company websites, their About Us page, 
the first thing you see are the C-suite executives, the leadership team, so on and so forth. If you go to our About Us page, I'm at the bottom of the page. You have to actually go through every individual that works with the company long before you make it down to the bottom of the page to find me. And the reason being is I serve those individuals who actually do all of the work. So my my role in the company is to serve them. If I need to take out the trash, I will. If I need to make a phone call, I will. But my role is to serve the organization and, and not to hold myself on a pedestal because I have three letters after my name. Hmm. That's uh, another great in- insight for up-and-coming leaders and all leaders. It is hard to practice, though, would you would you say? It is. It, at times, it can be challenging. And, and I'll, I'll say this as well, Sudair. What I also found in, in, in leadership for me, one of the things that I practice in that servant leadership is teaching. We, we live in a society now where things move so fast and everyone's chasing a quarterly revenue number that we don't take the time to teach and coach anymore. And so when I teach and coach our tribe members, those folks that work with us, I do it from a place of teaching them from the mistakes I've made throughout my career. And and I'm vulnerable. I share them through mistakes. I don't want people to view me as the CEO, the, the person who knows all. I want you to understand that throughout my career, I have made incredible mistakes and had missteps, but I've never failed. You only fail if you stop trying. And I never stopped trying but I want people to learn and I teach and I coach from a leadership perspective by way of the mistakes and the missteps that I've had. That's so important for uh, all of us to remember. And clearly uh, the world of leadership is changing. Um, The next generation is starting to to come into becoming leaders. So I'm sure you've had in your current role and past roles the privilege of of leading and guiding uh, the up-and-coming millennial uh, leadership folks and what's your view on how they differ compared to us and how you use these leadership techniques to continue to to grow these new leaders for the next generation you know i, I look to in, empower the, the this generation and what i mean by that is so many people write them off or they're, they're highly critical. In, in many ways, as, as a leader, it's a challenge for us and, and a good challenge. It challenges us as leaders to, to dig deep and find, okay, how do I connect with this generation? How do I take myself and understand things from their perspective, not just mine? And then how do I incorporate the lessons that I've learned, the things that I know, the mistakes that I've made, and take those things and, and teach that that new generation of up-and-coming leaders? And, and one of the big things for me that I'm always conscious, and everyone knows this, this goes back to the servant leader piece, is when people say they work for me or they work for JT or JT is my boss, I immediately correct them and I say, look, no one works for me. People work with me. I'm equally as important to the organization as everyone else in the organization. We're all here for the greater good of the mission of what we're trying to create and where we're trying to grow and scale the company. So no one works for me. People work with me. 
that's another very powerful statement. I'm sure it's uh, something your team is privileged to experience as you practice. Thank you for sharing that. Well, you seem to really enjoy being a leader. Did you have a view on when you first felt like you were a leader? Or when were you really thrust into that whole, uh, whole aspect of leadership? When I look back at my life, and I didn't even know it at the time, and I'll share a very personal story with you. The first time I would say that I took on a leadership role, and again, I didn't even realize it until I was in my adult years, is there was a time period where I was left with my three half-brothers and sisters. They were four, three, and two. And their mother, one of my father's prostitutes that, that I was living with, their mother was a, a, horrific, a horrific heroin addict. And one day she said she was going to the store. And I'll, I'll do my best to make the story short. She said she was going to the store on a Sunday afternoon. And she did not come back for three weeks. And it was February. And so I was supposed to be in school. But I was not going to leave my half-brothers and sisters. And so that's really, if if you were to ask me, where did where did you first take on a, a leadership role or where was I thrust into leadership? That's the very definition of thrust into the, to leadership. And so I, I never left my half brothers and sisters other than the fact that we were running out of food. And I said to my, my four-year-old half sister, I said, okay, watch your brother and your sister. I'm going to go down to the store and get us some food. And I went down to the store and I, I stole food for, for us to eat. And then we ran out of diapers for my two-year-old uh, half-brother. And I had to potty train him and I had no clue what to do. I was 12 years old and I sat him on the toilet and I, I looked at him and I said, hey, I don't know what to do here. He's crying. I'm crying. But I told him, something's got to come out of you. So until you push something out, you're sitting there. <laughs> and so that's where I was thrust into to leadership. And, and again, that is the very definition of being thrust into leadership. That's an incredible story. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, you've, you've enjoyed leadership since. And of course, a hard way to get, get started. But it probably puts some, some great thoughts of what to do and and you're uh, hearing you share about servant leadership, you know, and how you practice that uh, with your team and your colleagues. I want to come back and, and, and probe a little further in, on this topic, JT. You've got a lot of great wisdom to share. And, you know, leadership partly is also about successful execution. How do you define that in your world? Results. You have to be able to provide the, the results. I, I was very fortunate that my career, uh, a great part of my career was spent in sales. And Sudhir, as you well know, sales is 100% is results driven. Either you close something or you don't. And so I had the incredible fortune to spend a great deal of my career in sales. And I understood that at the end of the day, what mattered in sales was results. Are you driving results? Are you closing business? Are you bringing in revenue? And the ultimate sales in, in measuring results is when you're 100% commission. And unless you close something, you don't get paid. So that was incredible for me to, to have that, that opportunity to spend so much of my career in sales and understand that the very definition of execution is driving results. Because 
a lot of people are executing on things, but they're not driving results. So for me, execution and results go, go hand in hand. If you're not driving results by way of your execution, then you're not executing right. And it's very easy uh, to some extent to really lay out the objectives to have a set of metrics that drive results. Do you find that, you know, do you find that it's easy enough to uh, get your team to commit to those results and, and, and that accountability? It is. And, and you find out really fast, you know, in business, especially when you're a service industry such as us and when you, when you work in a professional services, you're dealing with, in my opinion, the greatest unpredictable thing in the world, which is people. And so you find out very fast the measurement of individuals and their ability to drive results or their will to drive results. Because some people want to drive results. They want to execute. They just don't know how. So you learn very quickly who wants to learn, who needs to be coached, mentor, taught, and who has the ability to really drive forward and execute to drive those re results. So for me, yes, I have found it, I, I dare I say easy, but I have found it to be, let's go somewhat easy to motivate our, our we call ourselves a tribe, motivate our tribe of, of people to drive those results. Would you be able to define your leadership style? You briefly mentioned it before, but just expounding a little bit on it. If you had one sentence to define your leadership style, what would that be? One sentence, it would be thoughtful, caring, and people first mentality. Those are all loaded, uh, loaded words, as you know, and, and, and it's so important for uh, leaders to have that shepherding mentality, you know, uh, when it comes to, to taking care of the teams and, and your colleagues. I know success in the world we live in means a lot to different people. And I'd like to ask you what it means and how you would define it for yourself. Success, you, you know, Sudhir, let, let, me, let me ask the question uh, back to you. Are, we define, are you asking me success in business? Or are you asking me success as a person? Both a holistic success of, of JT and how that's defined both personally and professionally. So I'll start with personally first. So success for me, I am incredibly blessed every day to wake up successful as, as a husband, as a father, as a man. I have a wonderful wife. I have three beautiful children who are, who are healthy. So given my background of where I come from, I wake up, in my opinion, successful every day. Sadir, you, you know this firsthand. If anyone ever asks me how I'm doing, I'm always excellent. Because in my opinion, if I wake up in the morning and my feet hit the ground, it's an excellent day. And, and, and if there is anything in life that I am not happy with, then it is up to me to change or, or resolve whatever it is I'm not happy with. So personally, I am just thrilled every day to, to wake up, to have the, the opportunity to achieve all my dreams and goals. So success in my life, I'm incredibly blessed every day. I, I have a very successful life. Success in business, for me, obviously, there's always the, the, the profitability, there's the, the growth, there's cash in the bank, cash flow. So yeah, all of those are metrics, but 
where I define success and where I really just, where I get the most touching and rewarding piece of business success for me, it's when people are, are thankful that we provide company benefits and they don't have to worry about health care and they have short and long-term disability and they have a secure career working with a with company. You know, I read an article the other day that 66% of, of our country lives on $20 an hour or less. 66% of our country. And so pretty much for us, our starting salary is about $60,000. So when I see that, those are the things that, that make me happy. When I walk around the office and I'm able to see a, a picture on someone's desk of maybe a birthday they celebrated with their children, I, I like to believe I had a small crumb or, or hand in, in that moment because of what we do as a company and the decisions we make as a company to grow and to be able to provide that. So, you know, we're at uh, right about 40 uh, tribe members, employees now with the, with the company. And, you know, we started uh, with, you know, three people with, with this company. So that really excites me and make, makes me happy. And I, that's where the success for, for business comes from for me. Clearly, you've got a great definition of being thankful when you wake up every day. And um, thankfulness is something that exudes joy in us when we, when we are truly. When you meet somebody, what is the one thing you hope to instill or leave, leave with them, JT? I mean, my life for me has been filled with moments. And I'll never forget this moment. I was a loan officer in the mortgage industry. And a gentleman said to me one time, he said, you may not always remember what JT is selling, but you'll always remember the kindness and the respect that JT gives to people. And that meant everything to, to me. And so that's, I would say that's the number one thing that I want people to walk away when they, they first meet me or when, when they meet me. And matter of fact, there's, there's three things I, I tell people all the time. In many ways, I don't care what people think about me, but there's three things that I do want people to think about me. Am I kind and do I respect everyone? And do I have an impeccable work ethic? And do I dress nice? Okay, the last one's kind of selfish for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. We all end the day sometimes on a up note and a down note for many different reasons. How do you know you've done right at the end of the day when you look at yourself in the mirror? For me, I would be lying if I said that every night when I go to bed, you know, do, again, do we all make mistakes? Do we have missteps? Yes. And so for me, when I look or, or lay in bed and I look up at the ceiling or I take time to, to reflect, Anything that I feel that maybe I came short of that day, then I take the time to reflect and say, okay, how can I improve tomorrow? How can I get better tomorrow? So there are times where, you know, maybe you made a bad decision. So there, you know, this in leadership, sometimes the right decision in business is you have to let people go faster and maybe faster than you really want to, but you know the answer, you know the decision. And that I would say as far as leadership is the very worst part of my role is when you have to let people go. 
But if you take the role, you have to be willing to do it. And I would say for me, that in particular thing, when you have to let someone go, I definitely struggle with that at night when I go to bed. Thank you for sharing those thoughts on leadership, JT. And, you know, uh, you live in a fascinating world when it comes to the world of publishing. Uh, you live and breathe that every day. And as you know, starting to the days of Gutenberg and mechanical typesetting and desktop publishing and now e-publishing with SaaS-based cloud services and all the things that you can do for global distribution, thanks to the world of broadband and, and, and all the other technology enablers. I'm sure the enablement of technology keeps you as a leader very alert to say, how do I consistently retool and reinvent to ensure that I'm successful in what I do. What does the world of technology for you mean in what you do in, in the world of publishing? First, let me let me start in, in on, on my side personally. Uh, I, I'm a student first and foremost. I, I absolutely love learning and it, it's the damnedest thing considering that I only have a high school diploma and I barely made it through uh, high school. And, and so, it, but I love learning and I, I very much love learning about business. How do you continue to see around the corners? How do you anticipate what's going to happen? So I'm a constant learner. Every day I want to learn more and more and more. And so for us, we have the incredible fortune that we publish books. You know as well as I do, everyone's always going to have an idea. A book is a book is a book, paperback, uh, hardcover, uh, Kindle. I'm going to date myself here. Cassette, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. CD, you know, books are not going anywhere. Should the day progress where we have a, a hologram book where you still need the content to go in that book? And it still has to be structured. It still has to be put together. So we have an incredible fortune that our industry isn't going anywhere anytime soon. People may consume information in different ways. Uh, there's a, a big joke within our company. Here I am, the CEO of a publishing company, and most of the books that I quote-unquote read I read off of Audible. I listen to them. <laughs> I don't actually read them because I'm a very slow reader. So – However one consumes a book, there's always going to be a method, but we'll always have a business to be able to provide that method. And I'm sure you see that innovation moving at a fast pace. So uh, how do you keep up with that? Again, be, being being a, a learner every day, you know, part part of your re responsibility as a leader is to lead your your industry, lead your market, lead your 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 company. Uh, right now, you know, I, I, I'm not going to pick on him, but right now you see that GE is going through incredibly tough times based off of a lot of the decision making that the former CEO made for for GE. And he he in his anticipation to see around corners and make decisions as a leader, he made a lot of bad decisions or, you know, maybe one doesn't call them bad. Maybe we say wrong decisions. And so as a leader, Sudair, as you know, it's much of our role in leadership is making those tough decisions, standing by those tough decisions. But I would say most importantly, being willing to admit your wrong decisions, course correct and finding the right decisions. That's so very important and true. You're absolutely right. Talking about books, 
You wrote a memoir and you're a published author yourself. Tell us a little bit about that. What brought you to doing that and uh, maybe share with our audience what's in that book so they could read it. I know I have and I've been very inspired by it. I, I appreciate that. In, incredibly humbled, honored, and flattered that, that you, you took the time to read my book. So, so thank you for that. The book itself, the way it came about was I was president uh, of the software company prior to, to coming here and taking the CEO, CEO role. I was president of a software company and I was traveling a lot. Right. And I don't like to fly and I hate turbulence. And I hit a rough patch of turbulence one time and I thought to myself, oh my God, if something happened to me, my children would not know where I come from, how, how I came to be, how I got to where I am. My children would not know that we don't know where my last name comes from. My mother was given the, the last name McCormick in the orphanage, but she has no clue where it came from or why she has that name. So I have my mother's last name, but no clue where this McCormick last name comes from. So it became very important for me that I wanted to have uh, up until that point, I, I was 45, I wanted to have my background uh, documented. And so I reached out to my network and asked people, you know, does anyone know how I can get a book written? I got introduced to the two co-founders of, of Book in a Box, the, the company I'm the CEO of now. And one thing led to another. We started working on my book. They asked for uh, help as far as scaling a company, and I would give them feedback as I went through their process. I, I won't bore you with the details, but one thing led to another. I woke up one day, and I was the CEO of the company. That's fantastic. So I, I, I came for a book, and I ended up the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> And clearly there's some great nuggets of wisdom in that book. Maybe you can share one or two for our uh, listening audience here as to, you know, what uh, what feedback you've gotten even since you published it and whether you met those objectives outside of the most important one being your uh, documenting it for your uh, children and for your family. You know, Sudair, I, I greatly appreciate the question. And in fact, that book was never, ever, my intention was never to make that book public. And I, I did not want people to know some of the horrific things about my background of where I come from and what I have been through. That book was strictly for my children. But through, gosh, numerous conversations, support, encouragement, we we decided or I, I decided to go ahead and, and make the book public and the the thing that stood out to me, someone said to me, they said, JT, if you don't make that book public, you're doing a disservice to, so to society because so many people could benefit from it. And I never saw my my story or that the book that way, but I agreed and I, I said, okay, let, let's do it. And it was it was very scary you know, because here, 45 years of things that I never wanted someone to know about me was now going to be public for everyone to to know. And so, you know, I, I would say some of the learning lessons in there that I still share with kids that uh, high risk youth that, that I uh, mentor now, the number one lesson. And, and if you if you give me a moment here, the number one lesson that comes in there, uh, in my opinion, as far as business is concerned, it really hurts me deeply that we know as a society 40% of the kids who graduate from high school will never go to college. We know that. It's a documented fact. It's not someone making up a number. 40% of those children will never go to college. 
but we send you into the world with nothing, not, not even the, the ability to teach children how to shake a hand. We, we don't teach children how to, to shake hands and say, nice to meet you, give them a firm shake, look them in the eye. We don't even give them that. And so I'll, I'll go back to the book for a second. And one of the harsh lessons I learned from my father, he uh, one time he picked me up for the weekend and we're walking through the grocery store. And I rarely saw my father, and, and but this was one of those rare occasions where I was with him for the weekend. We're walking through the grocery store. I'm nine years old. A little girl walks by me, and she says, hi, Javon. My, my real name is Javon. Well, I didn't say anything to her. And so all of a sudden, I feel this massive blow to the back of my head. My face hits the ground. My nose starts bleeding, and then I'm pinned up against the frozen food section with a forearm under my neck. And my father looks at me, and he says, I don't care who it is. You say hello and you respect everyone. And so I'll pause there. Sudair, that lesson right there has served me greatly throughout my career because now I say hello to everyone. And it's all because of that lesson. And in fact, I am nicer to service industry people than I am to business owner and C-suite executives because those individuals, business owners and C-suite executives, they have enough people kissing up to them. But we as a society, we tend to overlook the service people who work hard day in, day out. So I am far nicer to service industry people than I am C-suite executives and business owners. Thank you, by the way, for sharing uh, that very key insight from your book. You probably are an avid reader yourself. So what are you up to these days in terms of reading books? And what's the latest book you've read? And how is it influencing your thinking? I'm sure you're reading more than one book at a time. I'm not actually reading them. I'm listening to them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I. Uh, so right now, uh, I am listening. I am in the middle of listening to I Love Capitalism. It's... Um, an American story by Ken Langone. Mm -hmm. uh, he was one of the founders of uh, Home Depot. And it is a great book about hard work, dedication, effort, uh, where, where he came from. And I just greatly appreciate stories like that. Um, the other one I'm listening to is an older book that I'm listening to the second time, uh, The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. That, that's a, a great one. And the, I, I do. I usually do three at a time that I'll, I'll listen to. The the last one I am listening to, uh, speak like Churchill, uh, stand out, stand like Lincoln, and, and it's uh, a book on delivery and giving speeches and some of the the great speeches that have been given throughout our our history from anywhere from Martin Luther King to JFK to Lincoln and Churchill. So those are the three that I'm immersed in right now. Well, all great books. I'm sure you'll uh, you'll pick up a lot of great learnings from them. Yeah, as we're coming to the close of this uh, this incredible time in the show, I have one last question for you, JT. You know, as you think of your life, you've had a very fulfilled and thankful life. All of us get to, at some point, see the sunset in our life. So what is the epitaph you would want people to remember you by? First and foremost, I, I want my children to, to be able to say and my, my wife to be able to say he he gave his all. Man, you're, you're going to make me tear up here, Sudair. I want my, my wife to be able to say I, I was an incredible husband 
and for my children to be able to say that I was an incredible father that did everything I could to not only provide for them, but to support them in their dreams and goals. And so that's what I would want to be uh, remembered most by my, my family, first and foremost. Second to that in business, I would want to be remembered as a person who always put people first and who did who did everything in business by way of not only the, the, the company and growth and scale, but I put my value in people in order to accomplish those things and, and my belief in, in humanity. Those are the things that I would most want to be remembered for. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll share this last one with you, uh, Sudhir. The, the thing that frustrates me in, in our society, our culture here in the States, it's incredible to me that if you go to a funeral that you have individuals who will stand up and speak all of these great words about the person who is now passed. But many of those words that they share, they never took the time to share with that individual. And for me, I always want to make sure that I express my feelings and my thoughts for the individuals that I come across because I never want someone to pass away not knowing how I truly felt about them and all the great things that they may or may not know about themselves. You know, you're so very right and I, I couldn't agree with you enough, but uh, more importantly, what an what a incredibly good insight to, to close this show uh, with uh, that we really need to uh, to be thankful to all the people around us and share what we really feel about them while they're still on this earth and with us, right? So, JT, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you as a guest on our show here, Cracking the Code. Thank you for joining me. Sudair, I thank you, sir. It's a, a, a true honor and pleasure. I'm humbled, I'm flattered, and... As I've said to you many times, you, you say the word and, and I'm there for you. And thank you, Sadir, for sharing with us J.T. McCormick's remarkable rise from poverty as a child to an entrepreneur and business leader. As I listened to McCormick share his humble beginnings, the son of a pimp and a mother on welfare, I was amazed. Another striking thing in this interview is how open he is about his life. He wants others to learn from his struggles. He says he wants to teach other people the lessons learned from his own mistakes. His advice to realize you can't change the past is important. Look forward to what you can control, he says, the next hour, the next week. You can have impact on your future. And a key to his leadership style is putting people first. A title does not make you a leader, he says. He practices servant leadership, serving those doing the work not the other way around.